Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan, once again, with pureandsimplebible.com. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to you one-on-one, one more time. Usually I have guests, and I know I've been saying it a lot lately, but um, I'm having trouble getting my schedule going where I can get some guests either in studio or with my traveling microphone. I do hope to get that resolved soon. I love having conversations. I love the dialogue, the discourse, but for now it's just us. Please pray for me as I continue through school. I am in week nine of a three-year program on marriage and family therapy, and i uh, I'm enjoying it. It's challenging, but it's also causing me to be a little bit more hectic with the schedule that I'm used to keeping with all my personal work, as well as trying to get a weekly podcast out and make some videos for release as well. So I hope that uh, you'll enjoy this conversation where really it's just me talking and you listening, but hopefully you can have a conversation in your mind. So a question that I ask and that I have been asked, and it seems to come up a lot, is about the love and the goodness of God and the reality of hell. And it's often asked within the context of somebody who is struggling with the goodness of God, and so they'll ask something like, how can a God who loves, or how can a loving God send anyone to hell? And um, I think it's a good question. It's a question that I think all of us should ask. And I think what's going to be helpful about this is that I'm both asking and answering it as somebody who is uh, in the faith, so to speak. So instead of it being somebody who is skeptical and trying to pull somebody out of the church, I hope to ask and answer this question genuinely and sincerely. But as somebody who is in the church and somebody that cares about your faith and wants your faith to grow, it's a question that I think Christians should ask and that we shouldn't be afraid to jump into. Maybe I I could begin with some experience uh, about part of what we're going to talk about, and that is the idea of hellfire. So um, when I was eight years old, I spent some time with a friend and his family at an outdoor event, and uh, while we were cooking marshmallows on a bonfire, um, my marshmallow fell off, and so I did what all of us typically do when we're sitting on the ground. I put my hands down behind me, you know, to push off the ground, and it was at that moment that I realized, because I had forgotten, that there was actually two bonfires, and I was sitting in between them. The other one was really uh, kind of low, and it was mostly just you know, coals and a little bit of flame at the time, and I was trying to roast the marshmallow over the big fire. Um, But I stuck my hands straight into the hot coals of that second bonfire that was behind me. And I was eight years old at the time, like I said, so it's been a while, but I think I can say that I remember the pain, and I remember it being the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Now, the, what happened afterwards, it's kind of, uh, you know, like in the movies where they just flash from scene to scene. It really, that's kind of how I remember it. I remember them rushing me inside. Um, I remember screaming as they poured cold water on my hands. And I remember looking at my hands and it looked like 
you know, bubbling, boiled, melted cheese. Um, I don't remember a whole lot between there and the hospital. My parents tell me that when they were called and they got to the ER, that when they opened the door, they could hear my screams from the front door all the way back. I remember whimpering late at night, even though I had been treated and bandaged the second-degree burns, you know, they, they say the third-degree burns, which are the worst, are so bad you can't feel them. But the second-degree, which is what I had, um, won't give you as much permanent damage, but it's the one that you feel the most. And so it took me a long time to overcome that fear of fire. I remember, you know, as a kid, when on the 4th of July, we'd hold sparklers I would go and I'd dip a, a hand towel in water and I'd wrap it around my hand like a mummy. And then I would hold the sparkler because I was so afraid of fire. And so f- the the idea of hell being described as fire, you know, hellfire, was really, a, was and is a frightening term for me personally. And maybe it is for you too. You know, there's so many times in the Bible that, that fire is used um, I did a word search, came up a lot, and it's can mean a lot of different things. Hell, uh, fire can be cleansing, it can bring light, um, it can be a good thing, it provides warmth, but the Bible also uses it as the uh, source of explaining what hell's like. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12 says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the Chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In Matthew 13, verse 40, Jesus talks about the tares that are gathered and burned in fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I think there's reason that the Bible uses the concept of of fire when it's talking about hell because in that context, fire is awful and painful and terrifying C.S. Lewis said about hell, There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than hell if it lay in my power. But he also recognized that hell is a necessary part of God's goodness and justice. And with that last phrase, a skeptic or a enemy of Christianity may hear and scream, Why? Would a loving God send anyone to hell? Or can the reality of hell be compatible with a good God? You know, there's a time to answer those questions, and I have it in this study at the end. Um, So we're going to kind of do a slow build to answer those questions. So stay with me, please. But before we begin, I I do think there's a few things that I want to... uh, assume that we both agree on before we continue. So first, I think we need to assume that everyone who's listening to this believes that the Bible is reliable in what it says. And if you don't, then this probably isn't the best study to start with. If somebody recommended this podcast to you, for example, and this is your first time listening to PSB, um, and you don't trust the Bible as a reliable document, then listening to what the Bible says about hell probably will not, uh, it's just not a good foundation for us to begin on. So I have other podcasts. I have a workbook on the Bible 
about its reliability and trustworthiness, and that might be a better place to start. So I'm going to assume, first, that everyone believes the Bible is reliable who's listening to this. Secondly, I'm going to assume that the theories that are out there that attempt to discredit an eternal hell are not biblically sound. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a couple of theories. One's called annihilationism, and the other's called universalism. Annihilationism teaches basically that you vaporize and you are no more. So if you're lost on the day of judgment, then God sends you to hell, and the moment you're uh, being touches the hellfire, poof, you, you disappear. And uh, universalism teaches that nobody will experience hell, that everybody will ultimately be saved. And those that maybe did, you know, another branch of that would be those who did experience hell would just be uh, for a purifying effect for the things they've done wrong until they've received enough punishment and then they can be saved. They both use Bible verses, but I would say they don't enjoy biblical support. And what I mean is I think they take Bible verses out of context and uh, cherry-pick things that fit their needs. So I assume that you don't believe in annihilationism or universalism. And if you do, then perhaps we can study that together. You can reach out to me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. I'd love to study annihilationism and universalism with you. But I'm going to continue in this study as though we don't believe that, that we do believe that hell is an eternal consequence. Okay? So what I'd like to do, I think the one of the ways that I study the Bible is by asking questions. And so what I'd like to do is just ask and answer questions. And I think what it will do is kind of help build a foundation for us to consider um, what the Bible says about hell and ultimately get to that question, how could a good God, how could a loving God allow anyone to go to hell? And is it hell compatible with the love of God? Okay, so the first question I have is this. Did Jesus and his followers mention hell? You know, a lot of people think that hell was created after uh Jesus' ministry was completed, and after the first generation of Christians, and they think it came about later when people were trying to just control the masses. Well, what do we do? What do we use to control them? Let's threaten them with this imaginary place called hell. However, the word Gehenna, which eternal hell is usually what we associate with, the word Gehenna is used at least 12 times in the New Testament, and 11 out of the 12 of those are by Jesus himself. Fire, contextually, about hellfire is used 30 times, and most of them um, are Jesus preaching. And a lot of times it is just repetitions of the same sermon in the Synoptic Gospels. But the idea of Jesus and his followers not talking about hell is simply untrue. The biblical Jesus taught more on hell than anyone did in the Bible. Jesus was not afraid to talk about hell, and neither were the other preachers and writers of the Bible. So why should we be afraid? Why does Western Christianity, you know, if I'm speaking in very general terms, why does Western Christianity assume that we should either not talk about it or be extra delicate when we talk about it? You know, I heard someone else say something similar to this. I kind of crafted it myself, but here's something I really believe in. Rather than apologizing for God to skeptics, Christians who are extra delicate about hell or don't want to talk about it at all really should repent and apologize to God for presuming that we could be wiser or more loving than our Savior 
who talked about hell. Yes, hell is dreadful, but hell is not evil. It's the place where evil's punished. And, and something can be profoundly disturbing and yet still be moral. Hell is moral because a good God must punish evil in order to be good. So stay with me. If evil is not punished, God is not good. Right? He cannot be just if he allows injustice. Okay, so that's kind of the first time I'm, I'm answering that big question of how could a loving God send someone to hell. I'm not really going to defend the claim yet. So you're going to have to bear with me a little bit longer before I defend that. But just meditate on that for a moment. When people say, how could a good God allow someone to go to hell? Well, first I'm just meditating on what Jesus and the Bible writers said. And frankly, they talked about it. And therefore, if they talk about it, and if God uh, uses hell, then that means hell has to be a part of God's purpose. I want to read a scripture to you. I used it um, last week in the, the podcasts where I was talking about fear not. So the, I'll use a sister passage. This one's going to be from Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. It says, I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you who to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who are we to fear in this passage and why? Well, I won't go into it as much detail as I did last week. Um, so you really need to check out that mini-series called From Fearful to Fearless if you want to go into greater detail on it. So I'm going to summarize it like this. Uh, we're not to fear anybody on earth who could kill us but not take away our soul. We're not to fear the devil. The Bible teaches that we're to resist and defy him. It never tells us to fear him. Rather, we are to fear God. And fear, biblically, is that sense of awe and reverence and dread. And so we reflect in the scriptures that God is the righteous judge who has the authority to save or destroy. Now, God, in Romans 1 verse 1, God is the source of the gospel. And that gospel, which is the good news that Jesus saves, must include hell. Otherwise, what does Jesus save us from? What are we saved from if it's not the wrath of God for sinning and the righteous punishment of hell? Are we saved from a mediocre life and we're, we're transformed into our best life now? No. The Bible teaches that sinners are saved from hell, from God's wrath that would, would righteously send someone to hell by the redemptive work that Jesus did on the cross and the obedient, faithful response that we live as a result of knowing what Jesus did. Okay? So maybe we could go uh, from this framework that Jesus and the Bible talk about hell. It's there. It's in the scriptures to a little bit of a different question, and that is, what exactly is hell? All right, so you've, you've Jonathan, you've, you've explained that they talk about it. You've explained that it's a part of God's plan, but what is it? Right? So if you've seen, um, you know, those old Looney Tunes cartoons or Warner Brothers cartoons where 
one of the characters dies and their their spirit goes down into hell. You know, Elmer Fudd's chasing Daffy Duck or something, and he dies and goes down in, into hell. Typically, what you see is like a a little creature who's got pointy horns and. Uh, the soul falls into a boiling pot of oil or water, and the the little devil, typically the one I've seen, is like a bulldog or something, and he's just laughing and stirring the pot and laughing. And it's like hell is this place where the devil is uh, just kind of doing his 8-to-5 job, and you're getting punished because you did this silly thing, and then, you know, that's the end of it. Well, that's a very inadequate, oversimplified and wrong version of hell. So maybe we could just ask, what is hell? And then we'll, we'll break down what it's like. Um, hell is, is an eternal reward. I think that's the best way to start. It's an eternal reward. It, it's a place of punishment and torment that is a reward. Now, reward we often think of as a positive term, but a reward is basically what you get in this context, what you get based on what you've done. Did you have faith in Jesus Christ? And by that, I mean hear, believe, and obey. Or did you not have faith in Jesus Christ? Did you not hear, believe, and obey? And so hell uh, is the place that is a reward, right? And it's not Hades and Sheol of the Old Testament. That's all I'm going to say on that. And if you want to know more, then reach out to me. It's the eternal reward for those who do not know God and do not obey God. Revelation 20 and 21 call it the lake of fire and the second death. And and maybe a question that's related to what is hell is what is it like? All right, so I get it. It's a reward. It's this place. It's the second death. It's a lake of fire, sulfur. Well, the Bible uses five physical senses that, you know, hearing and touching, taste, sight, smell, the five senses. It uses those to describe hell. And remember that the Bible's describing something that really is indescribable. And, you know, think about uh, John the Revelator describing things in the book of Revelation. And so he he describes it, uh, for example, like in Revelation 4, verse 6, he says God's throne is over a sea of glass-like crystal. You know, there's Bible imagery there to help us understand and explain what we just really can't understand. Um, And so when we go through these, remember, we're using these physical senses to describe something that is indescribable. However, uh, let's see, hearing, touching, tasting, sight, and smell. In Luke 13, 27 and 28, hell is described as constant weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's the sense of hearing. The sense of touch in Mark 9, 43-48, eternal fire, pain, where the worm continually eats the soul in hell. Luke 16, 24, this is talking about Hades and torment, but I think if it's there, then we could um, assume that it will be the same in hell, and that is taste, the, the sense of taste, rather the lack of, because it's called an unquenchable thirst. In Matthew 8, 12, hell is a place of total darkness, so the sense of sight, that rather the lack of sight. And then again, Mark 9, 43-48, the sense of smell, the, the constant rot and burning that fills the nostril of those in hell. So these five senses are describing the indescribable. And Revelation 19, verse 20, uh, Luke 16, 24, talk about 
the afterlife for those who are not saved as a place where people are alive and conscience and, and they're eternally tormented, Revelation 20, verse 10. So it's not a place where one just goes for a little bit and then you're done. It is an eternal reward that is a punishment for those who do not know God and did not obey his gospel. Okay, so the question I have is why is hell, why was hell made? You know, so if, if you're with me so far, we accept that Jesus and the apostles talk about it. We accept that the Bible explains what it is. But why was it made? This sounds awful. Well, the closest thing that I can give you to uh, because Scripture would be Matthew 25, verse 41. And here Jesus explains in a secondary sense why hell was made. Uh, it says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So why was it made? Well, because of the devil and his angels. God prepared hell for the devil and his angels. Remember, in Genesis 1.31, I've said this many times on the podcast, God only creates good things. And so we have to necessarily infer that hell is good. How is that possible? I mean, to a skeptic, that probably amounts to hate speech. But consider this. If God is just and holy, he must punish sin. Otherwise, he is neither just nor holy nor fair. So God didn't create hell until evil existed. Hell is the just reward for those who have chosen to do evil, i.e. the devil and his angels. And so why are humans sent there then? If it was made for the devil and his angels, why are we sent there? Well, even if it wasn't prepared for us, evil must be punished. God only creates good things. Therefore, hell, however awful and uh, just terrifying it may sound, hell is good because it is God's punishment against evil and people who sin. Okay, so we're, we're going to talk more about the, that big concept of God's justice in a moment. But I, I want to ask this question before we get there, and that is, who will be in hell? Now, as mentioned, Satan and his fallen angels, but they're not there as tormentors. They're not enjoying hell. Like I said earlier about the Looney Tunes cartoon, it's not somebody laughing at other person's pain and misery, and then they get to clock out at the end of the day. The devil is there for punishment. And as far as humans go, answering the question, who will be in hell? No human is the judge of another soul. So I'm not going to get into specifics about who's there and who's not. But we should understand what the Bible teaches, and that is that the way to heaven is difficult and the way to hell is easy. Okay? So Matthew 7, 13 says... Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Right? So Jesus says that more people are going to hell than they are going to heaven. In fact, many times in the scriptures, uh, only a few are saved, and we think, how is it possible that only eight out of the whole world made it on the ark? Or how only three, Lot and his daughters, are saved out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? But Jesus teaches that most 
will be lost and only a few will be saved. And yet, a lot of times, when you, when you talk about hell or when you think about it and when people speak about it, they think it's only for the most terrible of sinners, right? Only the people who do the most atrocious of crimes that they're so unforgivable. But my question is, who gets to decide which one is terrible and, and which sin gets to be overlooked? When you study the Bible, the Bible will teach you that all sins that have not been forgiven are punishable by God's judgment and that his wrath is against the sinner. That's what Romans 1, 2, and 3 are all about, leading us to this conclusion that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why Christians take the good news all over the world. Anyone can be saved from this eternal damnation. That's why in Romans 3, verse 23 and 24, when it says famously, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the sentence continues that they are now freely justified through Jesus Christ. However, Jesus' death doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. What it means is that we all have the opportunity to be saved if we're willing to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what about the good and moral person who does not believe in God, does not obey Jesus' gospel. Well, first, uh, rather, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 5 through 10, it's a scripture we're going to talk about in a moment, but is a, is a great scripture, probably the scripture, to answer that question. But the Bible teaches that being a good person does not get rid of sin. And I think this is one of the great, what do you want to call it, um, the pulling over, the pulling the wool over of people's eyes. Because in life, many people of faith will tell you that it's about faith in Jesus. But then in death, we'll say, they'll start to justify, well, that person, you know, they, they, they were good. And I, they did so much good. I just don't see how God could not let them into heaven. What they're doing implicitly, whether they don't, whether they realize it or not, is they're saying that person's personal works of good merit are somehow going to overcome the fact that they had unrepentant sin. However, God's grace and an obedient faith in Jesus Christ are what save us from God's wrath and from hell. John 14, verse 6, Acts 4, verse 12, 1 John 5, verse 12. There's so many scriptures to where we have to recognize that the only thing that can keep us out of hell is the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Okay, so the, the question of the hour is about hell's reward and purpose, right? So what what is this purpose? If hell's good, you've said that hell is good, and uh, you've said that um, it's a reward. So why in the world... Would hell be a reward or, or have any sort of good purpose? Okay? Well, I'd like to maybe qualify um, what we're talking about here. Hell, hell was not created for torture. Right? So medieval art, um, ancient art, which often shows these terrible images of torture and, and suffering as though God is eternally torturing people and, and wanting 
uh, just being vindictive and, and cruel. Hell is not about torture. Okay, hell has a threefold purpose in the scripture. Punishment, destruction, and banishment from God. What do I mean by that? Well, I base that off the scripture. 2 Thessalonians 5 verse rather 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5 through 10. We'll read verse 9 because that's the phrase where it mentions and it says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. So the key to hell's reward is based on that scripture's threefold purpose: punishment for sin, destruction and being away from the presence of the Lord, or banishment is what I like to call that, and summing it up in one word. Now, the assumption that a Christian often makes is that everybody wants to go to heaven. And that assumption is simply not true. Now, it's true that uh, everybody may want to go to their own version of heaven. You know, people want to go to that eternal you know, sunny beach in the sky where there's constant 72-degree temperature and perfect uh, waves and you got a drink in your hand enjoying your eternal retirement. But that's not what heaven is. I just talked about that with our kids the other day. They were talking about um, what makes heaven heaven, you know, and what's going to be so good about heaven. Heaven is good, and heaven is great, and heaven is, is the reward for those who are faithful because heaven is God's presence. Do you hear me? Heaven is God's presence, and wherever God's presence is, and I'm, I'm talking about being able to fellowship with him and be able to see God and be in his presence, that's heaven, that's home for those who want it. And the fact is, most people don't want God. Most want their construct of heaven, like we talked about, but heaven is God-centered. And hell is what most actually want, a reward without God. You see, the problem is, most don't understand that we're still living somewhat, all of us, within God's patience and grace and blessing right now. You see, they're, they're caught in a juxtaposition of, of hating God while experiencing his grace and provision. For example, in Matthew 5, verse 45, Jesus mentions how God gives the sunrise and the rain on the just and the unjust. And no one who is living has experienced total separation from God. But they want that. They want that even though they don't understand it, and so that's the reward they're given. It may be hard to hear, and you may be thinking I'm assuming a bit about what others want and what they don't want, but when somebody asks the question, why would anyone want hell? I think the question that we should ask in response is, does that person want God? Because punishment for sin and destruction away from the Lord is the reward given to those who don't want God. And so we, we arrive at this question, yeah, maybe they don't want God, but 
how could a loving God send someone to hell, even if they were they didn't love him back? That just sounds so awful, you know, that this cosmic being would throw someone into hell because they didn't love him. I, maybe it would be appropriate to use this example. I've heard it before, and, and if you haven't, then um, I'm not smart enough to have come up with it myself. Just know that. But I think it's appropriate to ask this question, especially to our female listeners. Ladies, have you ever had a man pursue you that you did not want to date? And what would you do if he kept pursuing you, even if you didn't want to date him and you made it known? Now, maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you haven't. But I think we can all appreciate that if you in... No uncertain terms. Let it be known. Listen, guy, you repulse me. I don't like you. I I don't want to be around you. I'm uncomfortable around you. Please leave me alone. What if that guy said, I love you so much that I'm going to force you to be with me. I love you so much. You don't understand how much I love you. My love is greater than your revulsion. And I don't care that you are repulsed by me and that you're grossed out by me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to force you to marry me because I know what's best for you. And this relationship with me is best for you. That's pretty disturbing, isn't it? Right? You know, we would say that, that there's a restraining order coming really quick. Now, God loves the world so much. John 3.16 God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He, got, he loves the world so much, but he will not force us to love him in return. In fact, Romans 1, verse 24, 26, 28, declares that God will give up on people who reject and refuse to repent. God will not force someone into heaven against their will. He gives us exactly what we want in our eternal reward. And so this leads back to that... Uh, a couple of times I've mentioned it in this discussion, and that is the consideration that if God does not utilize hell, he is not just. If evil is not punished, he is not fair. If unrepentant sin is overlooked, he is not good. And so the next time someone asks, how could an all-loving God send people to hell? Respond with this question. How can an all-just God allow anyone in heaven? Both of those are worthy questions. I'm not afraid to be asked that question. You shouldn't be afraid to be asked that question about how could a loving God send someone to hell. Don't be afraid of it. But it's, it's the, the, the other question is two parts of the same coin. It's talking about God's nature, God's character. How could a loving God send someone to hell? Well... How could a just God allow anyone in heaven? And the answer to both of these questions is found in the good news of Jesus. Hell is a terrible reward for the unrighteous. However, it was taken care of in God's plan of redemption. Jesus takes away the future of hell for anyone who is willing to believe and obey. Remember, first, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 talks about the threefold purpose of hell, punishment, destruction, banishment. Jesus faced that on the cross. 
Jesus faced the punishment for our sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus' sacrifice ended in the destruction of his body, Mark 15.42-47. Jesus was separated or banished from God's fellowship, Matthew 27.4-6. Thank God for Jesus. This is why the Bible says, O wretched man who I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 7, 24 and 25. So the gospel of Jesus is that he saves. Saves from what? He saves from the eternal reward that we deserve of hell, of God's wrath against sin that rewards hell. Now, how is God loving? God is loving and that he sent Jesus. He didn't have to, but he sent Jesus to pay the price that we should have paid. How is God just in that he sent Jesus to pay the price we should have paid? And that is why we live by faith. We're not saved by works of law or works of personal merit. The terms of salvation are that we recognize that there's nothing we can do, that we deserve hell because we have done what is morally wrong, we have broken God's law, and thus we receive the just consequence of hell. But that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, he sets the terms, and the terms are, are you willing to believe in my son? And we qualify believe by this obedient faith where we're willing to obey the gospel. We're willing to believe, repent, confess, be baptized, to continue living faithfully. Because it's only through God's plan, it's only through his way, that both his justice and his mercy are accomplished. That's what I want to share with you this week. Now, typically I might try to break this up into two episodes, but this conversation is so important that I don't want to break it up. I don't want to lose the momentum. So I'm going to leave it as uh, one long conversation. And, uh, you know, if you're used to my 25 to 30 minute episodes and you find this one a bit longer, I don't apologize. You know, take an extra lap if you're out on a jog. Or put the laundry away if you were folding laundry, et cetera, et cetera. It's a, such a valuable question. How could a loving God send someone to hell? And that, the, the opposite question is really the great takeaway for me, and that is how could a just God allow anyone in heaven? When I heard that question for the first time, I really felt just tremendously more comfortable with the first question. And I hope you did too. So uh, maybe if you took some notes for this podcast, then I hope that those notes are helpful for you. I hope the scriptures are helpful for you. But it's such a, a valuable, pivotal question that we ask. Because without hell, what's the purpose of the good news? And why, why do we teach the good news for others if we're not teaching hell? Okay, that's all I've got for today. Don't forget to go to the website. There's great content there for you to use. Someone was just baptized a couple weeks ago, a guy that went through the redemption series with myself and another brother from 
our home congregation. Uh, he went through the Redemption series. It's a 12-lesson series, and it's the Blue Workbook. And um, by Lesson 10, he brought it up whenever he asked, you know, so I think maybe I need to be baptized. And uh, we continued to work and study together for a bit, counting the cost. But it was such a rewarding experience to see that the, the good news is still um, working in the hearts of men and that these workbooks that I've meant, all they're intended to be is just an organization of thoughts and studies that present people to the gospel again and again and again so that they can become familiar and comfortable with the scriptures and form that conclusion for themselves that they need Jesus Christ just as much as you and I do. So go check out those workbooks and check out the library of videos, podcasts, and everything else at the website. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you. Well,